when I talked to Jamie Pusher in New Jersey, he said to me that he had just been in Rochester the night before to watch the Crunch of the Amherst. And he said, everything's the same, Bobby. The building looks the same. Their uniforms are the same. The people are the same. I said, Push, let me ask you, were there 10 fights in the game? He goes, nah, there was I said, then it's not the same. That's not how it is, right? So um, th that team was the last hurrah. And it was so fun. And it was so crazy. And Lucas, I can't even explain to you the things that I saw and I heard that they're, they're like, you got to be making that up. But no, they're not. Hi there. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucas Favalli. This is Crunch Chronicles. Episode 19 of Crunch Chronicles here today. We are so glad you've joined us here for our second venture away from the ice just a little bit. We've already had one front office guest join us earlier in Crunch Chronicles. Of course, that was Vance Lederman, episode 10 of the show a couple of months ago. Now we go into the broadcast booth and talk to one of two former Crunch broadcasters who's made it to the National Hockey League. It's a guy who I think everyone here in Syracuse is very familiar with. He spent 10 seasons with the Crunch, one season at the end of the Vancouver Canucks affiliation, and then the first nine years of the team's affiliation with the Columbus Blue Jackets, before eventually joining the Blue Jackets and uh, joining their broadcast team and where he is now the voice on the radio side of the Jackets. Of course, we are talking about Bobby Mack, Bob McGilligot, who is our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. As we said, Bobby Mack was here for 10 seasons with the Crunch. He was the voice of several key moments of the organization and really uh, dictated everything going on through the course of the team's affiliation with Columbus. Came back, uh, called the outdoor game, the Morabito Outdoor Classic as well, was on hand for the team's first trip to the Calder Cup Finals in 2013, calling a couple of games on television for that and just a, a great presence in Syracuse. Boy, he was such a synonymous voice with the crunch for so many years and really laid the groundwork for that side of things for this organization. Great to have him here on episode 19 of Crunch Chronicles. It is the current play-by-play -play voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Bob McGilligan. Well, Lucas, first of all, it's great to be on with you. It's uh, on it. Really, it is an honor to be asked to be on this. Anytime I get a chance to talk to the fans back in Syracuse and, and you know, when you're gone for a long time, those chances are fewer and further be uh, between. So I'm really happy uh, to be on with you and do that, but yeah, in Columbus and um, you know, it's my 13th season with the blue jackets, believe it or not. It's uh, it's amazing to me. You mentioned that I was in Syracuse for 10 years at that point, that was the longest job I ever held was being in Syracuse for a decade. And I've uh, done a little bit better than that so far here in Columbus. So it's uh you know, to me, it is still the greatest job in the world. Uh, it actually was when I had the same position that you did. Uh, you know, we appreciate it. We we get to do a lot of things that other people don't get to do. But doing it at the National Hockey League level is something that I really am, am thankful for every single day. Yeah, and we know the times are a little challenging these days, uh, whether it's here in, in Syracuse in the AHL or in the NHL as well. But, uh, you know, fill us in on what's going on with uh, with Columbus, whether it's on the ice, off the ice, and, and, you know, the NHL just dealing with all sorts of COVID issues as well for you. Yeah, I mean, everything at the beginning of the year was kind of back to normal in many ways. I mean, we were wearing masks on the plane and in the buildings. But for the most part, you know, last year, I didn't travel. Well, I shouldn't say I didn't travel at all. I did take a couple of trips, but that was to Florida. And that was on my own because we the radio guys could travel with permission from the league and from the buildings that you wanted to go to. So I know in the New York market, 
like the Islanders guys were driving over to New Jersey and then they were going to Madison Square Garden. And that, you know, that's easy to do for those teams because it's right there in a close proximity. But, you know, here in Columbus, if you're going to go somewhere, it's actually a, a pretty decent undertaking. You're going to drive four hours to Detroit. You're going to drive six hours to, to Nashville. You're going to buy a plane ticket to fly down there. No, you're not going to get into your pocket and do that. But uh, my son was going to a baseball academy in Bradenton, Florida. So I did take advantage of that and went to Tampa and did the games that we played in Tampa last year, the four games we played there. And while I was in Florida, I decided to drive across and go to Sunrise and do the games against the Florida Panthers too. So that was nice, but that was the only traveling that I did. I was sitting in the arena, whether we were at home or whether we were on the road. And when we were on the road, I was in my booth. The arena was dark. I was watching. I had two monitors. I had one with the visiting broadcast and one with the home broadcast. And, you know, one was a little bit delayed from the other one. So if I missed something, I could go back and pick it up. But Lucas, you know, there's nothing like being there in person and calling the game. I mean, all I could see is what the camera was showing me. I couldn't see anything behind the play. I couldn't tell when the goalie was getting pulled the whole nine yards and, and it wasn't fun, but it was what we had to do. So you shut up as much as you could and just <laughs> did it. Um, I'm not one for shutting up. I hated it. It was brutal, but, uh, uh, but we got through it. So at the beginning of the year, it was nice to be back on the road and going back into the buildings and, and doing a lot of the things that we had done before. And then right there before Christmas is when this next wave of COVID hit. And, and we were actually in Canada. And we, uh, our, our trip was supposed to be Seattle, Vancouver, then Edmonton, Calgary, and Buffalo. Don't ask me how Buffalo got put on that. <laughs> but that was what our trip was supposed to be. And, and we, uh, we played at home on a Thursday night, and we flew out red-eye to uh, Seattle, and we played there on Saturday, and we left after the game, and we went to Vancouver. We had a day off on Sunday, and it was great. I mean, it was uh, an NFL Sunday, and you're in Vancouver, so, of course, all the games are starting in the morning, Right. So you have the whole day off, no practice, no nothing. So you get to go out and have lunch and watch football. And, and we had a great day all day. And then the next day came and the next day was a practice day. And then all of a sudden, oh, the Vancouver Canucks have a couple of guys that have been put into the protocol. And then we're supposed to play on Tuesday. We go to the arena on Tuesday and all of a sudden they had shut down their entire morning skate and told all their media to go home. And we were still there. We still had our morning skate, which again, I, how does that happen? I, I don't right. understand any of these protocols, right? One team says, no, we're done. And the other team gets to go on the ice. So anyway, uh, we did that on Tuesday in the first period, the Canucks lost one of their defensemen because his test result came back after the first period. So he's out of the game. They're down to five defensemen and, and we're sitting there because it's all changing in a 48 hour period. We're like, man, we were just having a great time. And all of a sudden, what's happening here? What's going on? So you play the game Tuesday and we go on Wednesday to Edmonton. And by that time, it's already been announced in Calgary. They've got like, you know, 18 cases or something like that. So we know the Saturday game is probably not going to happen. But again, this is right before Christmas and we're going to Edmonton and everything starts locking down. And then the, the league comes out with the protocols going back to last year where you're not supposed to leave the hotel to get anything to eat or anything like that. And, and the real concern was testing negative to get out of Canada and not spend Christmas in Canada. And, and it was really like the, the night we played against the Oilers and, and the, the tests in Canada are ridiculous because, you know, here in Columbus right now, we're getting tested every day. If you're in the traveling party, you have to test every day. So I go into the rink, I get tested, I leave, and within anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours, I'll get an email with the test result. 
not a big deal. Canada, huh, not even close to that. <laughs> I tested at 1030 in the morning and this is on a game day. Now we couldn't get out after the game that night, which, you know, you would think you're in the major leagues. You can do whatever you want to. Oh no. If the customs people aren't working at the Columbus airport on that particular night, expecting you to come in after a game in Edmonton, you don't come in because you can't clear customs. And, and then you got to go somewhere else and they just couldn't find anywhere for us to go. So, um, so we had to wait, which meant one more test, which was very nerve wracking for every player, every staff member, all of us. So we go to the, the morning skate, the day of the game, and I get tested at like 1030 in the morning. My test result didn't come in until 130 the next morning. And, and there were other guys getting them at midnight. And I was like, oh, come on, really? This not today. This would be the worst day ever yeah. to get a positive test on this. So fortunately, every single one of us tested negative when we got back. But <laughs> you know what? About uh, 14 hours after we got back, there were a couple of guys that went into the protocol. And then, of course, the league shut down. So, um, you know, we're back on the road, thankfully, which, uh, you know, we just we just went to New Jersey and came back and yeah, you're locked in the hotel and you have to have all your meals there. And, you know, you can go outside and take a walk and that's about it. I don't care in New Jersey, to be honest with you, Lucas, because I, I don't care about getting out in New Jersey, but next week we're going to Florida and I'm a bit pissed about that. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, for sure. That is not going to be fun. I can take a walk on the beach, I guess, in Fort Lauderdale. Yay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I know I, everybody listening. To this is like <laughs> good you know, for you. <laughs> I know what there's, I know what they're saying on the other side. Hey, you take a watch. I'm in Syracuse. You know what it's like here? Yeah, I do. I did it for 10 years. You're right. But um so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of normal. It's kind of not right now, but um, you know, we're still playing the games. Thank goodness. And, and just like you guys there, uh, we're backed up about seven games, maybe eight when it's all said and done here, we'll see what happens. But um, you know, the uncertainty stinks, but I think we've all gotten used to dealing with uncertainty over the past year and a half to two years. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is the case. We're all just, we're used to it at this point. And uh, as a, a Jersey guy, I'm not going to take exception to, uh, to the little uh, wisecrack there about uh, Newark. I understand. I know, I know where you're coming from, yeah. <laughs> but you uh, know, well on a normal look, we were in Jersey city and in a normal oh, situation, we're staying right by the, uh, where the ferry goes across. I can see the world trade centers right there. Yeah. In a normal situation, we'll walk over to the boat, we'll go to the city, we'll go have dinner, go shop, whatever you want to do. Not normal. So again, what, what are we going to do, right? Yeah, that's all we can do these days is just play it one day at a time. And our, our schedule, as you said, is backloaded as well. 54 games in 114 days for us, I think, is last <laughs> I saw it. I'm sure it's pretty jammed for you guys as well. But yeah, you know, but no three, no three and threes for eight, us. We're yeah. still not allowed to do three and threes. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You, you never know. Well, there are a lot for the crunch, and I know you went through a lot of them while you were here. So we'll we'll transition to uh, your time with the crunch then. And uh, before we dive into anything too specific, just uh, you know, a broad thought on on your your decade here in Syracuse with the crunch. Well, the broad thought is that my time in Syracuse was really it was the most developmental time for my career. I think it was the most developmental time for me as a person. And these are things that you do not realize when you're there and you're going through it. And, and I'm sure you can relate, you know, you, you've been there for a bit and, and you were there, you know, you were there as an intern and now you come back in a full-time role. Um, you know, there are, there so many days go by and you don't appreciate what you have because you're always looking to the next thing. Right. And especially as it goes on, look, when I was there for 10 years, I'm getting close to 40 years old and I'm saying, how much longer can I do this? And I had a great gig. I had a, 
a fantastic gig when I was in Syracuse because I came in, Jim Sorosi brought me in through the crunch and it, it was awesome to go to the American Hockey League when I had only done two years in the East Coast Hockey League. I was a baseball guy who kind of hockey found me. I didn't find it and I enjoyed it, but I didn't think when I applied for that job, Lucas, I, it took me forever to apply for it because I didn't feel I was ready. I, I felt it was the triple a level and I was just a baseball guy who had a nice winter gig in the East coast hockey league close to home. And you know, that's probably where it would go. And then that job stayed open. And, and I had a buddy that at the time worked in the ticket office because I knew him for baseball. And in, in May of that year, he, I was in Salem, Virginia doing baseball and, and his fiance was from there and he came back there and he was having a bachelor party. And so I waited until he got all liquored up so I could ask him the good questions. But now I, I asked him about the job and he said, yeah, you should really apply for the job. And then, you know, in the baseball season, you're playing every day and then I get busy and then I forget about it. And like I said, I didn't feel that I was good enough to go. And August came and the job was still open. And I called him and I said, what's going on there? And he said, well, they just can't find anybody they're really comfortable with, somebody they really like. And so I finally sent the stuff and Jim Sorosi called me and we talked on the phone. And, and part of the job at the time was that uh, the flagship station, which was WHEN at the time, they were they had an afternoon local talk show and they were looking for a sports update guy. And so the crunch thought, hey, this is a great way to have our guy on the air every day. The radio station thought this is a great guy. This is a great way to get a guy for free. I mean, to have a <laughs> professional on the air. <laughs> you know, that's true. Yo, but yes. anyway, um, so so that was the gig. Like I, I was doing afternoon sports there. And then, you know, then that quickly morphed into doing the afternoon sports on WSYR at the same time. And uh, I had six years of baseball experience and um, Steve Heider had just left doing the Syracuse at the time Sky Chiefs broadcast and Ted DeLuca needed a partner. And here I was already on the air and, and I slotted in. My timing was perfect. And, and I did, I think the first baseball season I did, maybe I didn't do every game, which was weird for me because I'd done that every single year. And, um, but I also remember I got to be at my dad's on the 4th of July for a picnic. And I thought this isn't too bad, you yeah, know? Right. Um, but after that first year, I, I did it as a number two guy, and I probably did 120 games. And then Ted DeLuca left, and and from there on, for nine years, it was it was full time with both teams. And the Simone family was great to me with uh, with the Chiefs, and and uh, you know I, I eventually moved the morning drive sports on WSYR, which I hated because you were you know you get done at 11 o'clock at night, and you got to be on the air at 5:15 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, but again, you do all those things because you're, you're paying your dues. And, and like I said, when, when I started this whole thing, you're going through it and it's so easy to look at, uh, oh man, this sucks. And I've got to do this. And I really don't like doing that, but you just don't realize that it is all helping to develop you as to who you're going to be as a person. And in this case, as a broadcaster and, you know, some of the best friends I have in the world, I met in Syracuse in that time and, and people that I still talk to on a regular basis. And the hockey people that I was around, I mean, my first year was our, our last year affiliated with Vancouver and Stan Smeal was the head coach. And it was his, it was his first time in the American hockey league as a head coach. And it's funny because there for a brief time, a couple of weeks ago, he was the interim GM yeah. of the Vancouver Canucks. And I still see a Stan when we go to Vancouver and we always talk and, and it inevitably goes back to some of the things that happened that one year. And, and it's, it's so fun to relive and talk about. And then when uh, Columbus affiliated there, Gary Agnew came in and, 
you know, for six years, he was the head coach there and Ross Yates was the assistant and we had the same, you know, trainer and, and equipment guy for the most part, the entire time. And it was, it was just really a lot of fun. And I didn't realize how much I was learning and, and learning about, you know, how to conduct yourself in the sport, because when you get to the national hockey league, I'll tell you what, you don't have to make many mistakes uh, before people are going to tell you about the mistakes that you're making. And they're little things, they're little dumb things. Like, uh, I remember when I first got to Columbus, uh, Barry Brennan was our strength coach in uh, Syracuse and Barry had gone to Columbus. And, and actually when I first moved, we were still selling our house in um, Syracuse. And I, so I came here and I lived with Barry for the first like two months while we were selling the house. And um, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> we had a great, you know, we had a great time. I didn't have to deal with any of the packing or anything like that. It was oh, sorry. I got to go. But um but, it, you know, he told me just little things and you'll understand this because you travel with the team. Um, he said, when you get on the bus to go from the hotel to the rink, he said, uh, don't sit on the seat next to the aisle and put your bag on the seat by the window to take up both seats because that drives the players crazy because as the staff goes back and that leaves less seats, now the players have to double up. So, you know, you double up, you sit with somebody else. And it's it sounds like if you're just, a regular person, you go, well, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, you show the respect to the players. They're the ones that make your job possible. And, um, you know, just a whole bunch of little things like that. Being on time. If you're not on time for the bus, Lucas, do they sit and do they wait for you? <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> they are gone. Absolutely. Um, you know, just little things like that. So, it, you know, you spend all that time there and, and I don't know how it is for you. I don't want to speak for you, but I know it's, as I was there, you start wondering, am I ever going to get that chance? Will I get a chance in hockey? Will I get a chance at baseball? Is this ever going to pay off in some ways? It was paying off the whole time. I was just too worried about what was next to realize what was going on in front of me. And I tell people this story all the time. When I got to the National Hockey League, I didn't realize how many minor league stories that I would tell over and over and over. And everybody's the same way. All the people that I know that you know, whether they're former players or, or whether they're broadcasters from other teams that were in the American League at the same time I was, we always go back to telling those old stories. It's like sometimes it's like you've never been in the NHL. You've been here for over a decade and you're still telling that story <laughs> from 20 years ago in the American Hockey League. So it's uh, it is really just such a it's such a great experience. And Syracuse was a perfect place for me because the, the fans there, and you know this, they, they're so passionate and they're locked in and, and it's a small town and and uh, everybody's a part of it. Everybody's a part of it. I don't care what the sport is. Everybody's a part of it. And it's uh, it, it really, I, I still feel I'm part of the Crunch family. When I talk to Jim Sorosi, I, you know, I, uh, I love those conversations. And when I talk to the guys that are elsewhere now that I used to work with there, you still have that family feeling. So it's, uh, I cannot say enough great things about Central New York and about Syracuse in particular and, and what it meant for me as a person and for my broadcasting career. It's a wonderful approach to take for sure about that. You know, just the mindset, like you, you said, you maybe don't have it at the, at that time, but uh, it sure certainly is. Uh, I think the right way to, to go about it. And, and you're right. We are very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to be here these days with, with these wonderful fans and, and hopefully we, uh, you know, can return to normalcy here pretty soon with, uh, with some of the stuff here in this building, but uh, it is a great place to be wonderful memories. And I've, I've only been here my fifth year, of course, full-time and then the, the years as an intern, but for you a decade, like we said, I'm sure you have lots of 
of memories of, or moments or stretches over the course of that time. What uh, what stands out to you uh, as, you know, I know you've at times referenced that finish to the 20, uh, 2007, 2008 season where there's that wonderful run. Uh, maybe it's that. Is there anything else that stands out to you from uh, it just off the top of your mind from your time here? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, first of all, this has been a really unusual week for me because we played your parent club the Tampa Bay lightning just a couple of days ago. And I was, uh, I was going in for my daily COVID test and my intention was look like all the interviews are on zoom now. Right. So again, which I hate, but <laughs> so I was just going in there. My intention was I'm going to go get tested. I'm going to get back out. I'm going to go home and do my pregame prep. And I walked in and Matthew Darsh, who's now the assistant general manager with the lightning. It was talking with Jean-Luc Grandpierre, who does our uh, TV pregame postgame intermission. And uh, both former crunch guys, obviously. And so I stopped there and I was talking with Matthew Darsh. And um, then Jim Sorosi's name came up and Lindsey Kramer's name came up uh, from uh, the Post Standard there. And so then Jim called me the next day or two days later uh, to unfortunately tell me about the passing of Donnie Baseball, who worked in the press box, both at the War Memorial and over at the ballpark. And he said that Lindsey Kramer wanted to get some quotes from me. And I was like, I just talked to, I haven't spoken this guy's name in years and now we did. And now I'm calling him. So <laughs> th there were three connections for you. And then when we went to New Jersey, uh, Jamie Pusher was scouting for the lightning. So I got to go down and talk to push. So, and now I'm on with you. So it's really been, a, it's been a weird throwback week for me. Uh, but yeah, the, um, the thing that really does stand out is that 15 game winning streak at the end of the regular season. And then, the first game of the playoffs too. It went 16 straight before there was finally a game lost. And, and I will never forget, first of all, that team was crazy. It, and I know that uh, uh, during the pandemic last year, you know, we did that little get together with Zenon Konopka and Tommy Sestito and Derek McKenzie and John Morasti. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, those guys were nuts. They, they were, except for McKenzie, he was the level-headed guy, but they were all <laughs> nuts and they didn't mind being nuts. And, and it was, it was fun. And um, it was, uh, I will never experience that again. That was the last hurrah of old-time hockey. There's no doubt. Look at the way the game's played now. It's never going to happen again. When I talked to Jamie Pusher in New Jersey, he said to me that he had just been in Rochester the night before to watch the Crunch in the Amherst. And he said, everything's the same, Bobby. The building looks the same. Their uniforms are the same. The people are the same. I said, Push, let me ask you, were there 10 fights in the game? He goes, nah, there was I said, then it's not the same. That's not how it is, right? So um, th that team was the last hurrah. And it was so fun. And it was so crazy. And Lucas, I can't even explain to you the things that I saw and I heard that they're, they're like, you got to be making that up. But no, they're not. No, I'm, I'm not making that up. zenikanopka has got an iron burn on his back and shouldn't be playing. And he's still playing in the game. Why? Because he was wrestling with his buddies that came in to visit him. Like, what? <laughs> it's ridiculous. But it happened. Uh, taking a chisel and, and chiseling the number of games they needed to win into the wall of the dressing room. Um, who does that? Nobody. And nobody will ever do it again. But I remember one day in particular, and this is honest to God's truth. I walked into Rosh Yates office and he was mad, which is nothing new. He was always mad. But he, he goes, I go, what is wrong with you today? And I love that I could talk to these guys yeah. like this too, right? Here's my head coach. I go, what the hell is wrong with you today? <laughs> and he goes, uh, well, they just called up. I don't even remember who they called up. And, um, you know, there used to be a whiteboard right by the door of the office. So when he when he was sitting at his desk looking toward the door, the whiteboard was there. It had the the lines on it and they had, you know, who was out with injury and who was called up. 
and, and he goes, they just called up somebody and he goes, look at that lineup. Bobby Mack, look at that lineup. How am I supposed to win with that lineup? I said, Ross, I'll tell you what, the way your team is playing right now, and this was maybe seven or eight games into it. I said, the way your team is playing right now, you can go down the street to that stoplight underneath I-81 where the guy's begging for money. You can sign that guy to an amateur tryout right now, put him in the lineup tonight, and you're going to win the game. I'm telling you, that's how it's going right now. And we did win that night, and we won a lot of nights after that. And there were guys, Lucas, there are guys I'm not even going to remember. I could go on to Hockey DB and look at the crunch roster from that year, and I'd be like, oh, I forgot that guy was there. He played like one game, two games. But it, it was amazing because it didn't matter. Columbus called up all of our good guys. And they were bringing guys in from college and guys that were never going to see another minute of ice or ever be a pro, but it didn't matter on that team. They just won and they won and they won. And we passed Manitoba really on the last day to take second place and get home ice in the first round. And, um, <laughs> and then beat them of course, in a, in a great six game series where I, how many went to yeah, overtime? I think Four five, five, of, them, least, five yeah. of them went to overtime. Yeah. And Trevor Frischman got the game winner to end the series. I'll never forget that. And, and then years later, uh, Scott O'Neill, who coached that team, was coaching in Columbus. And, and one day, you know, we were supposed to be better than we were, and we were not good as it was getting near the end. And, and I just said to him one day, and I wasn't trying to be a smartass. I was just being honest. I said, I go, well, Scott, you got a lot of guys in that room and know how to win a lot of games in a short period of time. I mean, there's a lot of them that won 15 in a row. And he got mad. <laughs> He was not happy. I thought he was kidding, but he wasn't kidding. Like he still held that grudge. Like, dude, you're on the other side now. You need to let that go. Right. And he wasn't there very long. So maybe that was part of it, but uh, <laughs> it's, it, uh, it was the most amazing, most amazing thing. And uh, you know, Johnny Morasti's fights where nobody fights like that anymore. I was just watching a YouTube clip not long ago. My son had it on him and Jeremy Yablonski and the haymakers. They used to throw at one another and, you know, Brandon Sugden was a legend there. Jody Shelley was in the beginning. And, you know, the funny thing about Jody was he was in Johnstown when I was in the East Coast Hockey League. He was in the Calgary system and and he was there in Johnstown. And I was there two years, one of them with him. And, and that team was bad. That team hadn't made the playoffs in forever. And it was him and a bunch of other guys. And they were just kind of, it wasn't fun. Like the team was losing and they didn't want to be there. They all thought they belonged in the American Hockey League and it wasn't fun. So I go to Syracuse the next year. And as I said, that was with Vancouver. And then when Columbus comes in, they signed Jody Shelley. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't know if this is going to be very fun. And in the year that I was gone, the Johnstown team made the playoffs for the first time in forever. And I remember Jody coming into that camp and he was like, Bob, how you doing? It's great to see you. And I was like, oh, OK, good. Well, this is nice. And I said to him, I go, Jody, what happened? How did you guys go from being so terrible to getting into the playoffs? And he said, you know what, to be honest with you, we all finally looked at each other and we said, we're not in the American Hockey League. We're not in the National Hockey League. And we all like each other. And if we're going to be stuck here, let's just win. And they did. And that really changed. That mindset change did great for him. Uh, he carried that into Syracuse. He carried it into the National Hockey League. I sit next to him on the plane every single time we go on a trip. We work together every single day. I'm, I'm blessed that I've known this guy for over 20 years. And, uh, you know, and, and I always go back to that moment of, uh, you know, when he came in, he was just such a, a more positive person when he came to the American Hockey League. So, I mean, those tough guys in Syracuse, everyone loved them. I wasn't there for John Baduke, but I saw the video 10 million times. Um, it, it was just a lot of fun. Those 
those days were special days. I didn't, I was, when I was in Johnstown, I didn't realize how special the playoffs were in hockey because we didn't go. Yeah. And um, I remember my first year played against the Hamilton Bulldogs. They were affiliated with Edmonton at the time and they had like eight guys called up and it should have been easy because Vancouver wasn't in the playoffs, but you know, then I realized there were some guys that felt that it might be just easier to end the season and get ready for next year than to push themselves in the playoffs. And uh, so that was, that was learning experience too, but uh, it was so special, Lucas. There's so many individual things. There's so many things I've forgotten about that when people bring them up, I'm like, Oh my God, yes, I forgot. We did do that. Didn't we? Right. Um, So, so fun. Oh, you had the outdoor game too, um, that you were a part of um, a couple of years later, of course, what was that whole experience like uh, to, to just be there for that, that outdoor game? It was great. And that was, it was actually the first year that I left and and it worked out perfectly because uh, the NHL went to the Olympics that year. And because uh, that's the year it was in Vancouver. So that, that was a big deal. There was no way they were missing those Olympics. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so there was the break in the schedule and, and the outdoor game lined up with it. And of course, um, you know, it was going to be televised and it was, um, you know, I wanted to do it, uh, but I had left there and, you know, somebody else had the job and, but I got called, uh, it was time Warner at the time. And, and Doug Logan called me and he said, Hey, um, would like you to do the outdoor game. Are you interested? And of course I was interested in doing it. And, and I went back and, uh, I went back our goaltending coach that was with the blue jackets at the time, Dave Rook, he went at the same time that I did. So, you know, we went out for dinner the night before and had a good time. He and I, and, um, and then we showed up that morning and it was, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, this is another, scenario i may never live again you know every year in columbus all the fans clamor for the winter classic or an outdoor stadium series game and playing at ohio stadium and look if it ever happens it'll be great but um but it won't be my first because that was that was something else and i remember walking into the fairgrounds and the tailgating that was going on oh my god it was the uh, some of the Syracuse firemen were like, Hey, you got to come over here. And I'm like, guys, if I stay here, I will not be able to do this game. I love it. I appreciate it. but I can't stay here with you. Um, so the, just the festivities early in the day were great. And then when that grandstand got packed and the players got on the ice, we had a terrible vantage point. I mean, I was standing next to the boards, right next to the bench. It was brutal. I couldn't see the corner down to my left. I couldn't see the corner down to my right. I preferred everything happened on the other side of the ice throughout the game, but I got to work with Danny Gare, who of course is an NHL legend in Buffalo. And he had been with the blue jackets as a color analyst on TV. And, and it was awesome to work with him and uh, Brent Axe did our sideline stuff and he covered everything that we couldn't see. <laughs> and um, it was, it was a fantastic experience. It was one of those games to be honest with you, Lucas, when, when it was over, you didn't want it to end because it was such a special experience. And there are thousands of people jammed in there and it was a perfect day and it was really cold, which gets hard to talk sometimes when it gets really cold, but um, I'll never forget it. And I, and again, it's another one of those things that I appreciate that uh, Time Warner and the Crunch letting me come back in after I was gone and do that game. And, and it turned out to be the first time that I came back because then later on, I ended up calling some uh, <laughs> Calder Cup final games, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> which, uh, which was a weird thing as well. But I was really glad to be a part of it. It's like, I just can't shake Syracuse, Lucas. <laughs> can't get rid I don't of know us. why. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> We're nipping at the heels all the time. <laughs> well, one of the, the real shames of the pandemic was the crunch was supposed to be a, uh, a visiting team for one of the, uh, for 
outdoor games and it just didn't happen because of that, which was such a shame. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm sure at some point down the line, we'll, we'll get there as well. Um, it's, it's been great to have you on before we let you run I, this, this half hour or so has gone by so quickly, but you, you touched on the, yeah, especially and- when the guest doesn't shut up and he just keeps on talking and talking and talking. This might, this might be one of the easiest ones you've ever had. I will say Zed and Kanaka we had on, uh, oh, never early mind. on. Never I asked mind. him the first question I asked him, he went on for 20 something minutes. <laughs> It was whole Syracuse story in one answer. Yeah. So you've talked a lot, but not. I know not, it. it was pre- Let me tell you a fast, uh, yeah, fast yeah. story. We were in, uh, we were in Toronto during a playoff series and um, <laughs> we were the Toronto, the guy that was doing the ringside stuff for Leafs TV at the time. Uh, we, there was no PR guy on the trip. Right. And the, and the national hockey league, I never deal with this, but he comes up to me, Paul comes up to me and he goes, Hey, uh, do you mind? Uh, could we talk to Zen and Kanaka? Could you set that up for me? And I go, sure, I'll set it up for you. So um, at the rink in Toronto where the Marlies play, you come off the ice in the corner and then there's a long ramp that you walk up to go to the dressing room. Right. So um, I, I cleared it with Z and and he was good with it. And so I'll never forget. I was, I was standing at the top of that ramp and Kanaka's walking up the ramp uh, and he's coming up to do the interview. And I waited until he was honestly, he was like eight feet away from us. And I go, Paul, have you ever interviewed anyone from the WWE? He goes, <laughs> no, why? I said, you'll know in a second. And I turned and I walked away <laughs> and he, he came back to me and he goes, oh my God, now I know why you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah, it is. But he's, he's great. Uh, of yes. course, uh, was a wonderful guest to have on earlier this year. But uh, just again, one final thing, uh, you know, just you mentioned the fans and, and the whole, you know, your experience here with them. I know, I think you called some games in the stands at some point here in Syracuse, I believe. <laughs> just everyone loved you. So what was your experience with the folks here uh, in Syracuse? I, you know, I forgot about that doing those games in the stands. I was, um, this was early on and, you know, the the previous guy had been there for five years. So I was a new guy and, you know, you're coming in and you're trying to, you want people to like you and you want to figure out what you can do to speed up that process and all that. But yeah, I remember taking, I don't, why I came up with this idea, I don't know, but we had a wireless mic and I went down into the crowd, into the hit club. And I broadcast from there and we were playing, um, I think we we're playing the Hershey bears. So one night, and there was literally a line brawl that involved the goalies fighting in the whole nine yards. And I was sitting with those guys. Uh, so it was a lot of fun, <laughs> you know, I didn't even think about stuff like what if people are cussing around me and this microphone is going to pick it up. Never once considered any of that. I'm just like, well, this will be a little bit different. Let's just go right into the crowd and do it. Um, I've never done it since then. I, I'm telling you, I forgot I did it. I'm glad you brought <laughs> like, that up because now I'm sitting here thinking about it. Going, what was I thinking? <laughs> not, and not because of the people. The people were great. But, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that could have went wrong with that entire setup. I didn't care. I just, ah, let's go. Give me that wireless mic. I had an intern or something. I said, you just watch this and make sure that we don't go off the air. Other than that, we'll, <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> Um, and, and it was fun and that, it, that was a great thing that I love doing with the fans and the shootout show was an awesome thing that I love doing with the fans. And, you know, when it first started, we were over at the hotel Syracuse uh, and they had the coach max bar down there and, and the guys, I think about this now and like guys in the national hockey league don't even want to do this stuff, but you know, guys would get done and they would shower and they would dress and then they would walk across that plaza and come to the hotel Syracuse. 
and do the show. And they were really good about it. They were diligent and there was nobody walking them over there. I mean, I was talking to them before the games and yeah, we're all locked. We're good. We're ready. And then when that shut down, we just moved it into the basement there at the war Memorial. And um, I, I mean, the, the setting, what the, being in the, in the bar in the hotel was a really cool bar setting. Yeah. Um, and, and this one wasn't as cool looking, but it, the great part about it was all people had to do is go from their seats downstairs. And you know, look, I Saturday nights, especially when you're playing Rochester, you're getting the John Morastis, you're getting the Brandon Sugdens, you're getting those kind of players on that show that night. And it was, it was cool. I had a, I had this little LED sign that used to be my dad's when he used to DJ that you could put messages on. And um, I got that sign and I would put up the guests. So I would, it could run during the game when people were down there having a beer pregame or in, during the intermissions and stuff. So if you wanted to know who was going to be on the show and, um, and it got to a point where guys that were being asked to be on the show were having success, which is, as you know, hey. is the best thing for guys like you and me, right? Because now when you're asking, you're actually, it got to a point where I wasn't asking. I had guys coming to me and saying, Hey, I haven't scored in five games. You got to get me on that show. <laughs> I'd be like, great. And I can't tell you how many times I scheduled them and they scored in that game. And then they would be so happy. And then the next guy would be like, well, that's, I got to get on there. You know, you got to get me on there. So, uh, but those were so fun because it was, it was the call-in show and you'd always get those idiots. I mean, nice people from Rochester that were calling on their way home and, and, uh, you know, I'd pull the, I talked about Z being WWE guy. I, I love to do that too. And uh, I'd blow them up on the phone and the crowd would react in the room. And it was, uh, it was so fun. I haven't done anything like that since I haven't done anything like that show since I haven't done anything like getting in the stands. I don't know if they would frown upon that in the national hockey league. If I asked to take a wireless mic and go down in the crowd, but I should, I should consider that again, because it was uh, rather unique. You know how it is here. If you're going to do that kind of thing, you can put out a press release and you can get some pub about it. Right. Hey, there you so, go. You know, they, as they say, any publicity is good publicity. Just spell my name, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, this you ever been... tried that? Have you, have you thought about trying that? I, I haven't. Um, no. just because I was going <laughs> to say, I don't, I, there's so many things that could go wrong. I know. <laughs> Um, I, that's that's what I mean. I never thought about any of those things. I thought, well, I'll just take this microphone and go down there. Naive, Lucas. Naive. Yeah, that's what happens. You I learn. guess at the end of the day, it's a two-minute walk up to the booth if you if something does go wrong. So I if <laughs> yeah. I could scramble up but, if needed. But if you're in a hurry and you forget to lean one way, you're going to crack your head off one of those concrete beams, and then you could be knocked out. So it is dangerous. It, yeah, that is. It's a good point. I'm sure. I'm sure the booth there in Columbus is a little spacier than the one. It is. Uh, you want you want to hear a fast booth story? Yes. About this, we were um, one time we were playing against uh, the Manitoba Moose, and uh, and their broadcaster came in my and he's my friend Brian Munns, but I don't you know we're down in that pit. Are you still in that pit right yeah. above the penalty box? The, the okay. pit has been trimmed to uh, one third for us, though. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, what's yes. in the other, what's the other, in the other side is the uh, Tampa Bay Suite now. So uh, the Lightning Brass get a nice roomy setup. We got our one third of the booth gets the job done. Tell Matthew Darsh to beat it. You need more room. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so Brian Munns came and he set his stuff up down in the pit. Because where they sit, you know, it's the beams in the way and you can't stand up and whole nine. I don't care. That's called visitor right. in my book. That's the visitor. So he came and he set his stuff up down there and I was livid. I was pissed about it. And, and I told him, 
And, and he stayed there that night, but I was not happy whatsoever because he didn't ask me, he just did it. Well, you got plenty of room here. It's not the point. Who are you to come? I don't come into your building, and just set up where I want to. Yeah. I set up where you say set up there. So anyhow, um, then uh, Iowa came in and uh, oh my gosh, this is, this is embarrassing. And I shouldn't forget this. Who's doing TV for the uh, Chicago Wolves? Uh, Jason Shaver. Jason Shaver. Thank you. He was in Iowa at the time. And Jason came in and he decided he was going to do the same thing. Didn't talk to me about it. I'd already lived through this once morning skate. I saw him setting up. I was down at the corner before I did my pregame. I saw him setting up and I was not happy. So he got done setting up. I went, I did my interviews. Kevin Constantine was the head coach for them at the time. He was down in the stands interviewing Kevin Constantine. I went up in the booth unhooked every piece of his equipment, put it up where it should have been, rehooked all of it up again <laughs> and left. We never spoke that night. <laughs> never said a word. No words needed. Needed visitor visitor. Then he came back with the wolves and they, they actually asked if they could use the other side one. Night. <laughs> and I let him do it. I mean, I wasn't going to be a complete, jackass about it i mean they're they're doing television in chicago i get it but uh but somebody asked that time so yeah. it was okay but again he uh you know i i don't know if i've had a conversation with him since then <laughs> <laughs> and i don't hate him and yeah. i hope he doesn't hate me but it was just a what are you doing you're that'd be like somebody inviting somebody to your house and they just come in and they you know go to the fridge and start making a sandwich in your house and then kick their feet up on the couch like hello it's my house so anyway yeah, less than I thought you might enjoy that. I do enjoy that. And thank well, <laughs> I wish I had the space for that to potentially happen again, but <laughs> I don't have to worry about that these days. But uh, Bobby, this has been great. We appreciate the time here on Crunch Chronicles. Uh, I hope you, well, uh, as you said, you've had a week full of crunch. So maybe you'll get a, a couple of days away from that, but hope you enjoyed the little stroll down memory lane. We appreciate you doing this and good luck the rest of this season. I appreciate it too. And I, and I never want to have that time away from Syracuse Crunch or from Syracuse in general. Again, it's... Uh, such a special time in my life. It taught me so much and helped me to be who I am today, personally and professionally. So Lucas, I really appreciate you and Jim Sorosi asking me to be on this. It's a, it is an honor. It really is. And it's great to talk to all the fans, all the crunch fans back in Syracuse. And remember, um, you know, that NHL app, if you just hit the headphones up in the corner on a non-crunch game night, Lucas, I'll make sure of that. Okay. Like we, you guys only play basically Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the most part. There's a lot of Tuesday and Wednesday games. You guys want to click on that and listen or go to Sirius XM. I need all the listeners I can get, man. I'm trying to get another contract. We'll do our best. We'll <laughs> spread the word for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Bobby. There he is, Bobby Mack, the voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets, our guest here, episode 19 of Crunch Chronicles, officially now in the books. We appreciate his time here today uh, with Columbus on the road, traveling back and forth wherever he uh, was at the moment. Great to have him back, though, uh, on the Syracuse Airwaves for a very brief moment here this week on Crunch Chronicles. He is, uh, again, just such a great presence in Syracuse over the years, voice of the crunch uh, at one point was uh, calling uh, baseball as well here in Syracuse. So just uh, a, a guy who dove right in, didn't know initially that he was going to end up being with the crunch. Uh, as you heard his story about how he ended up here with the crunch, the job was open for a while and eventually he got the nerve to apply for it and wound up 
10 seasons the voice of the crunch. Great stories there by Bobby Mack as well. We've had him on. We had him on a crunch chat earlier. Uh, well, during the pandemic, uh, back in 2020, he had some great stories with that team that we alluded to the 2007, 2008 crunch team, which uh, really had such a tremendous run uh, back that year. And uh, just some great stories to share. And we appreciate Bobby Mack for joining us here today. That is episode 19 of crunch chronicles. As we said in the books. We appreciate Bobby Mack for joining us here today. If you uh, have any great Bomagelegate stories, and I'm sure a lot of people do, we'd love to hear them. You can uh, email me lfavali at syracusecrunch.com or tweet me uh, at Lucas Favali. I would love to hear some of those Bobby Mack stories uh, from whether it was those great shootout shows that he alluded to. Boy, that's something we really missed this year, by the way. Just a side note, uh, I thoroughly enjoy those shootout shows down at Upstate Medical University Arena after games. Obviously cannot do those this year, but we cannot wait to bring those back in the future. Great interaction with the fans, of course, after games, and uh, we can't wait to bring those back. And Bobby Mack was a big part of the reason why they were so successful for so many years. So maybe you have a good uh, shootout show story or just any other story of his time here. He was really a, a guy who made such a great impression on the folks here in Syracuse. All right, that'll do it for us this week here on Crunch Chronicles. Thanks again to Bob McGilligan for joining us here on the show. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Crunch Chronicles.